with Hashem's infinite grace. Avram Freed's powerful, right? But let me not deprive you. Megillat Kohelet. Kohelet, or Ecclesiastes, was written, they believe, by King Solomon. King Solomon built the Beit HaMikdash, one of them, and it is thought that after that took place, he fell into a life of excess, just an absolute ton of materialism. That is thought to have inspired his writings about the world being filled with vanities and fleeting pleasures. He so famously writes Hevel Avalim, which if you translate the word Hevel to vanity, which is pretty much how the Christians did in King James Bible, then you would translate that as vanity of vanities, which reminds me of Hastara Shebetoy Hastara, Rabbi Nachman's uh, famous Torah 51, 2, 4, I don't know, where he talks about concealment within concealment, and there's a difference between one level and two levels. One level of concealment refers to something that's hidden. Concealment within concealment refers to the fact that you don't even know that it's hidden. Or imagine something being lost, and you know it's lost, but it's lost. That's level one. Level two is that you don't even know it's lost. That's what this reminds me of. Hevel avolem, vanity of vanities, makes me think of the state of something being vain, but you don't even know it is vain. But that's my own little spin on it. The word hevel is written 32 times in Koheles, and uh, our scholars have questioned whether you could even define it as vanity. It seems that when you learn about the shorish of the word, and you dig in from a Jewish perspective, you find that vanity doesn't quite encapsulate what it actually means. As with many biblical terms, it's hard to define in one English word. Hevel is one of them. If you care about precise accuracy, it seems to have more of a connotation that refers to uh, ear or breath. Every biblical reference, by the way, of the soul seems to have some correlation to breath, ear, or breathing. And this is no different. When translated properly, it appears to translate as a short breath, or eerie, or fleeting. So the concept of Hevel is not just vanity. It could be thought of more like something that's fleeting. And the reason the definition matters is because when you apply these English definitions to every verse where it is written, Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. And depending on which translation you use, which word, which definition you use, it may or may not make sense. Anyway, all of these details are semantics in light of the bigger picture. But not to be, you know, not to make them away. If you're interested, you could go online. There are lessons that break down this concept. For the sake of this episode, I'm going to stick with the word vanity because that works for me and it works on this topic, but it shouldn't be taken too literal. I would like to preface by saying that if ever 
It sounds like I'm giving Musser. Know that I'm giving Musser to myself. I'm not in a position to give others Musser. I need more Musser than anyone else. And the thoughts and ideas that I share are the thoughts and ideas that I had about myself, my own life, my own observations, and therefore I'm able to share it. I look at my own journey and I see how technology, society influences it. And then I take a peek at our Jewish ethics and our Jewish wisdom and our ancient philosophy. And then I see the correlation. I'm like, oh, that's what the warnings were. Oh, that's what that is. And just as I'm fascinated by it, I feel an honor to be able to share it with some friends. So anything I say that may come across as sharp, I'm saying to myself, I'm trying to reckon myself to move. I'm trying to inspire myself to be stronger, so on and so forth. The ultimate lesson behind all of it, I believe in the words of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, may his soul rest in peace. Happiness is in being, not in having. Let me repeat that. Happiness is in being, not in having. I think we have reached a time when the lessons of Hevel Avalim, vanity of vanities, fleeting, insignificant emptiness in a world of abundant materialism is clearer than ever, is more stark than before. If ever there was a time in history when the lessons of Koheles made sense, it is now more than ever. As religious Jews, we grow up with these lessons. We're essentially hardwired to understand these concepts. And I believe that we value these ideas. We talk about them from time to time. We don't live them. And again, guilty as charged. As I said in a previous episode, you could value meditation. You could value A, B, C, D, E, F, G. If you don't do it, it's meaningless. And when it comes to the vanities of this world, the emptiness of materialism, we fall victim to that phenomenon more than in any other area. How many of us understand these lessons? How many of us have heard these lessons, right? How many of us have repeated them, think about them from time to time? And then how many of us take powerful, life-changing action as a response to knowing this information? We know that social media is empty. It has zero value. In fact, it infuses people with the opposite. Jealousy, judgment, drama, and gossip. Social media is a cesspool of gossip and drama, doesn't matter how you slice and dice it. It is he said, she said on one level or another. It wastes hundreds, if not thousands of hours of our lives and provides no significant value in return. It is the epitome of a fleeting activity, but it isn't just vanity and empty. It is actually destructive. And that's one of the things that's really interesting and crazy about this topic is that when King Solomon is talking about the vanities of materialism, how it doesn't matter how much he has, he doesn't seem to be happier. And the more he has, he doesn't seem to get happier. It's not just that having all those things and having access to all those things don't make you happy. They have the potential to destroy you. And now we have a whole nether layer on top of that, which is called technology. So it's beyond just riches, gold and silver, diamonds and jewelry. We have technology, which has created an abundance of information at our fingertips, the repercussions of which we have no clue. Again, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has a lecture on Torah Anytime regarding this topic. I highly suggest you check it out. I think it's called Authority and Authenticity, and it's 
specifically about the warnings and ideas of how to deal with this overflow of information. We've seen just in the past few years how dangerous information is, but we've also witnessed the information game because we see it very starkly in politics, how you could push any agenda. It doesn't matter what the truth is whatsoever. Whoever has the most money to pour into ads, that is who is getting the biggest following. The masses believe what they are served. And if they don't believe it today, serve it another hundred times and they'll believe it. There were people who foresaw some of these issues where when you just put everything, all the information that exists at the fingertips of human beings, we wouldn't know how to deal with it. We will not know how to differentiate between authentic, real, truthful information and fake news. I work in the digital realm. I understand all these concepts and I'm still baffled sometimes when I bump into a short video that is edited to perfection and you find out that it's completely doctored and fake. A lot of the hits that you watch on YouTube and TikTok and all these platforms of these 10, 20 second videos of something surreal taking place is often fake. It could be anything. It could be of a, a alligator chewing up a lion and it was created by some Indian or, or Pakistani overseas and he's actually making tens of thousands of dollars off of that video that we consume and we're like, wow. And of course we're affected by it, right? Because we are ultimately affected by the things that we consume. So we've gotten to a time where information being at our disposal has no value anymore. Sprinkle on top of that, who knows what percentage is complete and utter lies and far from the truth, these are dangerous problems. Never mind we're living in a fantasy almost every day of our lives. We can't differentiate between realness and fakeness, actuality and conceptuality. The lines are blurred. We don't know what's real and what's not. So now we're dealing with two layers. We have the materialism, especially in the United States where everything's on a credit. So you have the car you want, you have the house you want, you have every piece of material object that you want. You reached your goals and your dreams. Never mind that you're in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. The bank owns everything. You reached your dreams. And now on top of that, on top of the physical material abundance, we have informational abundance. Like I said, a huge percentage of which is complete falsehood. One would think that we would be as happy as can be with all of this abundance, with all of this at our disposal. How can we not be happy? This is every human being's dream. They just want things to be easier, better, as King Solomon pointed out, that the more he had, it was not increasing his happiness. And like I said, in what point of time were these lessons more poignant, more important, more relevant than today? Where we have all the physical abundance, we have the informational abundance, we have machines that carry us from point A to point B, we don't know the definition of hard work, and what are we left with? a huge percentage of our population on medication, struggling with mental health, so on, so on and so forth. It's not getting better, it's only getting worse. And I feel like we're getting to the point where, you see, in 2010, when Facebook was still hyped and all ages were joining and people hanging out on Facebook groups, people still believed in the value of it. There were some people who were like, nah, this is not, this is not good. So you had the Yechidim, the individuals who, my brother, one of them, Within a few years, he realized this is, this is not where life is at. And then time goes on, you know, 2015, 2017, and you see more people leaving social media, 
But at the same time, you know, you have the individuals who are leaving social media because they realize it's not good for their life before they even downloaded and got into any of the other stuff like uh, Twitter and Instagram, back then Snapchat and now TikTok. Before that, you know, before that existed and before they fell down that trap, they got off of Facebook, they got off of MySpace, they got off of the old stuff. Then all the new stuff comes along and a lot of the individuals sick of Facebook just transition their addiction over to the newer platforms, Instagram, and like I said, then Snapchat, and now more recently, TikTok. But the point is, in 2010, there were already people warning that there's dangers here. In 2015, more people realize the dangers, they see how it's affecting their life, more and more leaving. Fast forward a couple more years, more and more so. At this point, it's beyond just a warning of what's to come. It is severe. It is destroying our lives day to day today. The urgency to get off these platforms couldn't be higher. It's already life and death. There are teenagers committing suicide because of social media. There are human beings of all ages dealing with severe depression and anxiety and everything in between because of social media. Adults wasting thousands of hours a year, thousands of hours that you could be, you could if you take the amount of time that you spent on social media, you could have a doctorate or a PhD in your field of interest. But no, social media gets that attention. Not only is it vanity, complete and utter emptiness with zero value, it is actively destroying your life and your mental health. Your attention span is at about five seconds. Your ability to, to communicate, to create and formulate a coherent sentence has drastically reduced. Have you heard these new age Gen Z or whatever the new, the newest, youngest age? They cannot formulate, everything is like, 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 uh, um, um, like. So I was like, and, and so I, I like, I like, I hate the, 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 the stuff that, that I feel because like, this is how human beings communicate in 2023. Where do you think that comes from? Stick your child in front of a screen when they're one years old, ignore them, don't teach them value. Don't teach them, don't hand them over tools and utilities. And this is what they're like at 15 years old. So I like went to a party and this guy was looking at me and like, I, I wasn't even sure how like, how like my feelings were. And I'm smacking myself for being so stupid and wasting so much time. I'm disappointed because despite everything I know and knew, I still fell for it. And that's one of the main points that I'm trying to bring out today. It's not enough that we know. You have to understand how dynamic the traps of societal addictions are. They mutate like they are biologically alive. Just when you think you outsmarted it, it outsmarts you. I've been off pretty much for the most part. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and these types of platforms for years. I go on occasionally if I get an important message. I'll log in on my computer, but it's not on my phone. I uninstall the app. And just a few episodes ago, I was still talking about how I have the apparent need to have YouTube on my device. I use it to listen to lectures and intellectual conversations. I use it to upload some content myself, so on and so forth. And the reality is, while it is true that I use YouTube to listen to music and I use YouTube to listen to lectures, you know what YouTube was using me for more than anything? It was using me to watch stupidity, gossip, emptiness. Because after I 
unfollowed every single channel that I was followed to, and I resubscribed to only, and this was a test, this was a trial, I unsubscribed from every single YouTube channel that I was following. I resubscribed to about 10 to 15 channels that brought value to my life. And I told myself that when I go onto YouTube, I'm only gonna go to the homepage. I'm not gonna go to, sorry, I'm only gonna go to the subscription tab. I'm not gonna go to the home tab because the home tab is where they're suggesting garbage, emptiness, nothingness, clicks, likes, drama, gossip, zero value. And guess what happened? I was not able to. In Judaism and in all frameworks of self-help, abstinence of any kind, self-control, you don't tempt yourself, right? An alcoholic doesn't buy a bottle of alcohol, stick it in front of them, and then say day after day that they're not going to drink it. You don't do that if you're sane. In that vein, you do not keep YouTube on your phone and only go on the subscriptions tab. It does not happen. YouTube will have its way Somebody will send you a video, whatever it is, you'll find yourself on the zero value tab and you will find yourself scrolling through garbage and meaningless content a couple times a day. So there's no such thing that there's a good social media platform. It does not exist today. Maybe it will tomorrow. It doesn't exist today. By default, if you understand how the algorithm works, if you understand how content creators create content and how they blow up, why do you think a channel like Humblebrag doesn't blow up because I'm not creating the stuff that it wants me to create. I refuse to lower my values and put clickbait trending hot topics out there because trending hot topics have zero value. I've researched at length how successful YouTube channels blow up. It isn't rocket science, it's one plus one. If I dedicated my channel for three months to trending topics and used clickbait titles, with specific keywords, it's not a question of if I will start hitting the algorithm on certain videos and then blow up. It's almost guaranteed. I've watched hundreds of channels do it. Thank God I held out because what I care about and what I share means more to me than how many people watch it. But can that be said of every other channel that you watch? Of course not. You didn't choose to watch that stupid title that brought zero value to your life. I, just the utter stupidity of the stuff we watch online. Even the quasi, you know, informative stuff, the science channels, just the blackest material on earth. Can I put uh, a billion uh, marbles or whatever they're, these little balls into a swimming pool? Uh, blow up this and test that. First of all, you remember zero of the science behind it three days after you watch it. Secondly, it brought zero value to your life. How did it move you or change you in any other way? But this is the, the crap we watch. It gets much worse than that. I'm saying this is already the good stuff. Now, that's not to say, obviously there are value-filled lectures and speeches and information on YouTube, but the cons outweigh the pros, and it's that simple. It used to be a question to me, do the cons outweigh the pros? Maybe the pros outweigh the cons. If I just watch one lecture in between 20 stupid videos, worthless videos, maybe it's worth it. The answer is, da, 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 da. no, it's not worth it. The cons outweigh the pros. And it's very simple. You want the good stuff? You can find it somewhere else. Almost every single podcast, almost every single lecture, almost every single rabbi, intellectual, will have their content on more than just one platform. You don't need YouTube to watch Y.Y. Jacobson. 
you could watch his videos on Torah anytime. You don't even need it to watch Jordan Peterson. You could listen to his stuff on a multitude of platforms, possibly even on their own websites, his or Daily Wire or whatever. The excuses that we make are nothing but that, excuses. And I know it because I've done it for years. I continue to do it because it's a journey, right? There's no, we don't, we don't believe in extremism. You're not just going to take your entire life and upend it. But to understand how society envelops you in these habits, how they indoctrinate you with outlook, mindset, and what they call value, and how you slowly adapt that way of thinking, those value systems, which I would consider lack thereof, but whatever, fine. Americans think they're promoting good values, fine. Better than some, worse than others. It's crisis today, not tomorrow. It's crisis today. Join me as we trek this journey of reverting back to what we once knew and loved. If you're not happy, think of a time when you were. What existed then in society, technology-wise, and in other areas? What did your life look like then? What were you physically doing and what weren't you doing? And what, how does it compare to today? When I do that, I see a clear contrast. When I was my happiest, I was A, a lot more physical. I was working a physical job, not a digital job. That means most of the day, for 15 hours or more of the day, I was outside of my house working physically hard. On top of that, I was going to gym. So not only did I have a hard physical job, I was going to gym and working out on top of that. I was not consuming TikToks and Snapchats and Reels and all that crap. I was consuming intellectual discourse couple hours a day. I was meditating. I was doing yoga. I was doing personal prayer. I was doing things that are good for my being that didn't necessarily contribute to my having. Remember the quote that we started with, happiness is in being, not in having. Then what happened? Well, then I got married. Brain started maturing. I had some great business ideas. I had to make parnasa. I had to cover the bills. So I started working hard. And what happens when you start working hard on the computer? I transitioned from physical to computer. I felt like I graduated. I have brains. I don't need to use my hands anymore. I learned skills. I was great on the computer. I learned graphics. I learned web development. I learned marketing. I learned everything in between. Fast forward a couple years. I no longer listen to a few hours of intellectual discourse a day. I no longer do yoga. I no longer go to gym. I am consumed and I'm obsessed with the concept, with the fantasy of monetary gain, of succeeding by every metric that I watch on YouTube. I was consumed by this notion of success, the success notion that I was indoctrinated by in the United States. I was consumed by the idea that I'll never work for anyone again. I'll be my own boss. I'll run my own business. I'll buy whatever vehicle I want. And the good stuff too. I'll give tzedakah, charity. I'll do great things. Endless fantasies. Fast forward a couple years. But look at what's happening. How many years are we fast forwarding? Okay, so now we're 10 years later. And I think about those things that I valued. I still do value them. <laughs> I value learning. I value praying. Yeah. I value working out. Cool. When's the last time you did it? No, 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 I'm busy. <laughs> Can't I have clients waiting for me. I have to answer emails, hundreds of them. No way, no time. 
So then I asked myself, how long, how many years are you going to pursue business at this scale, at this intensity, before you say enough is enough? Is it 35 years old? Is it 40 years old? 50, 60, right? Until when do we pursue that 15 hours a day until we say, you know what? The time to live, the time to focus on being, not having, is now. I thought about that and I made a time, but guess what? The time that I made, the time frame that I gave myself to succeed or revert to the life I had, because the lies that we tell ourselves are that I have to focus on success. I have to work this hard, which entails, as we just discussed, neglecting being, neglecting having a good, uh, fulfilling life. You're sacrificing for business, for monetary success. And you do that by telling yourself that once you reach monetary success, then you could kick back. Then you're going to have the freedom and the luxury to do all the things that you want to do. Lies. Never going to happen. The reality is you're going to continue to go down the road and the path of success. You'll be enamored by it. You're going to start valuing and loving doing that over the other things. And on top of that, those things will consume you. They will create more responsibilities. And you'll never get out of the cycle of needing to do things in that realm. It's never going to get less busy. It's never going to get simpler. It's always going to get more and more complex by orders of magnitudes. It's not enough that you know that you're wasting your life on social media. It's not enough that you know that you're wasting your days pursuing things and not being. It's not enough that you've thought and made calculations on how long you'll go before you'll stop obsessing over your monetary success. The only metric that matters is that you do something about it today. You don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow, let alone five years from now. If you die tomorrow, would you rather have spent all of the past five years focusing on you, your family, your life? Or are you happy with your mediocre success or wherever you're holding in your journey of success that you can leave this world and feel okay? Let me just say that knowing and understanding what I am communicating right now versus experiencing it are two completely different worlds. You do not want to get to the place where you experience and feel what I am saying right now. We get away with making incorrect choices because of free will. Hashem, nonetheless, is always guiding us through messaging and tribulations and various other means of divine providence to get back on track. It could be in the form of benign stresses in life. It could be financial difficulties. It could be difficulties with a spouse, children, friends, family. It could just be life in itself. It could really just be anything. Hashem is always talking and communicating to us. If your life has become more stressful at your 25 and your 30 than it was at your 18, and you're just attributing it to the fact that you're older and you understand more and you have more responsibilities, so on, so on and so forth, take, take, take a step back for one moment and understand that Hashem does not give us tribulations unless he's trying to move us in one way or another. There are plenty of 30-year-olds who are tuned in and they don't live a life full of stress. I'm saying that to say that if this is your reality, like it was for me, but I had every practical reason why I had that stress and it made sense. But instead of making big life changes because of the stress, 
right? God might have been saying like, bro, you know, stop wasting time. Stop doing that crap. Stop, you know what I mean? Instead of thinking in that capacity, which is how I would have thought 10 years ago without delaying a second. Instead of going there, because my programming is different these days, I solve problems on my own. I'm a business person. I try to deal with the stresses and I dealt with them and I dealt with them and I dealt with them and they become more complex and sometimes you can't deal with them. And then you find a way just to find that there's another stress around the corner. And what happens when we don't listen and we don't tune in? Then it becomes too much. Then Hashem gives you a challenge that you can't deal with. Not ultimately, conceptually, because Hashem doesn't give us something that we can't get through. I'm just saying it's such a strong difficulty that you're not going to be able to deal with it the way that you dealt with it for the past 10, 15, 20 years of your life. And that's when you know that should be the huge wake-up call. Ding, 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 ding. I messed up. That's when you have no choice but to make huge life changes or else. That is what I believe I'm dealing with. And I believe that many others are dealing with but may not know it. I knew for years that I'm not doing enough physical activity. I feel the stress build up in here when I sit too long. I'm staring at a computer screen. Shem has given me so much stress and anxiety now that I can't sit at a computer for more than three hours a day. So 12 hours a day, now I can't even put in three hours a day. I knew that aside from one or two minutes of conversation to Hashem each day, I wasn't praying anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't doing introspection. I wasn't looking at my life. I wasn't tuned in to being. I was so tuned into having. I knew all these things all along, but I refused to do anything about it. As I mentioned, I made all the right calculations, all the excuses to get through another day. Tomorrow, next year, there's a plan for it, right? I made plans. God doesn't want your plans. Hashem, through your own body, needs you to do what's right today. Give it exercise today. Give it spirituality today. Give it what it needs today, right now. Don't wait until the stress, the nervous breakdown, the panic, the event is so destructive that it nearly kills you or puts you into a mental institution. Listen before it gets there. Laser Brody was talking about the difference between a Jewish show and a non-Jewish show. It's a heavy topic in today's times. You don't want to offend anyone. The way that he described it was that there is no better. This concept of like we're better than anyone else. The wrong way to think about the entire topic. I'm not going to get into it deeply. I'm just going to say that he summarized it by saying it's, it's like think of an engine and there's two different types of engines, you know. One may be a Mercedes, one may be a tractor, one may be this, one may be that. It, one is not better than the other. They serve two different utilities, right? You're not going to go with a, a, a Mercedes um, to uh, dig a ditch and you're not going to use your tractor to uh, ride down the highway. So the difference between types of souls is just the difference in utility and, and what it's, what it's here to do and what its purpose is. We believe that the Jewish shul has a purpose of obviously shining, you know, being a light onto the nations, whatever. That's smaller detail to the fact that we're here to serve Hashem and get close to Him, get to know Him. And I do believe that because I literally feel it. It's not just a thought. It's not just a piece of information that I heard and I like. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. The fact is, I've seen it in my own life, when I'm actively working on getting closer to Hashem, when I am actively working on my well-being, my spirituality, my health in every regard, I feel great and I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose. I vibrate on the correct frequency. I feel safe, I feel loved, so on and so forth. Very low anxiety, if at all. And the opposite is true too. When I disconnect from that and I get 
very busy, like too busy with business, with vanities, with futile endeavors, with screen time. It doesn't matter if it's watching videos, playing games, or even doing work, just engulfed in the screen. Um, it results in me not feeling good, which results in stress, which re ends up resulting in really bad anxiety and panic. Such bad panic that the only place left to go is complete surrender and realization that whatever I'm doing, however I'm living my life, is not correct, akin to putting the wrong oil in my engine. All of this to say that this world is full of vanity, emptiness, futility. Many of us, myself included, are wasting our days, our hours, our years on endeavors that our soul utterly rejects to the point that it affects our body, mind, and heart. Though I've been on a journey of less social media, more health, so on and so forth, the journey doesn't have time for your calculations. If you've wandered as far as I have, the solution is to turn back quick. Not extreme, but quick. And once you begin turning back and just living a healthier life, focusing on being and not having, uh, things turn around very quickly. Now I go to gym, I do physical work a few hours a day, I do spiritual work a few hours a day, right away, like almost instantly, my body, mind, and soul starts feeling better. Now, is it true that I'm not obsessed with business and maybe I'm losing out on tens of thousands of dollars? Perhaps, but trust me, I'd rather be happy and have my brains and have my mental health than have a million dollars. There's no question about it. And I just hope and pray that you don't have to experience the dread and anguish and panic that I have to get to that realization. Trust and believe that you want your mental health more than you want your success, your monetary success, and make that a priority today. The lesson of Hevel Avalim and King Solomon's writings were not that this world is vanity. It was that materialism and the pursuit of low value things are fleeting and vain. And that the lesson is to focus on your loved ones, your family, your life, your spirituality. It not only brought him happiness and purpose, you are thereby fulfilling your, your actual purpose, your tikkun in this world. Whatever our soul correction is, I could almost guarantee you it has very little to do with Facebook, LinkedIn, or TikTok. That being said, may Hashem bless us and give us strength to continue to carry on and to get stronger and closer to Him. Amen. Leave a like and subscribe. Subscribe.